0: All right, amen, and we're going to be talking a lot about that battle that's already won today. Good morning, everyone. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, please, Mark chapter 3. Today's title, of course, is uh, Binding the Strong Man, Binding the Strong Man. So let me give you a little uh, introduction here as to what we're going to be talking about. All of the preliminaries of Jesus' ministry are now behind him. He is in full swing of his ministry. He has chosen his message to preach, he has chosen his method and how he preaches. He's even chosen the men who will learn from him and carry on this message so they too will preach. Up to this point, in our text, his power is recognized by both friend and foe. If you remember last week in the synagogue, it was not could he heal, but would he heal? So his power is recognized by his friends and enemies. Today's message, though, is a bit of a sandwich. Uh, We have two pieces of bread, all right, two slices, and his family is represented by the slices of bread uh, and their concerns. I'll go over that in a second. Uh, in the middle of our sandwiches are our meat, what I want to call the meat. This represents the scribes and their concerns. So both parties involved seem to be troubled over the legitimacy and activities of Jesus' ministry. The family says he's out of his mind. I bet you've heard family members say that about you right? You know I have. The scribes say he is possessed, possessed by Satan. Now, we will be exploring the mixed reception here that Jesus receives from both the religious leaders and his family, along with his response to both. Now, my goal, my goal in this will be to reveal who I like to call the stronger man, the stronger man, found in verse 27. Not the strong man, but the stronger man, and how this stronger man has impacted the lives of all believers. That's the impact is past, present, and future. So Jesus' response to his family and the scribes are going to put an end to their accusations of being out of his mind or possessed by Satan. In fact, it's going to show that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the stronger man. He was then, is now, and will be victorious in all areas of spiritual warfare. In other words, he has won. He's won then, he's winning now, and he will win. So in all his victories, this is the beautiful thing about belonging to Jesus Christ, all his victories, we share in those. They become our victories. So today, the stronger man has been bound, Uh, excuse me, the stronger man has bound the strong man. The strong man cannot act like he'd like to. The strong man cannot behave just like he wants to. He's been bound, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that. So uh, I want to talk about the bread slices first. Now I'm going to do something out of the ordinary. Our text today, I'm going to start with the beginning, and I'm going to talk about the ending. We're going to skip over the middle. We're going to come back to that. We're going to talk about the two slices of bread first. That is the family. Um, so, the beginning here in Mark 3 20 through 21. And I just realized that I left my Bible in my office. But that is okay. You may be thinking to yourself, well, what are you going to do, Pastor Mark? What are you going to do? Yeah, (laughs) that's the truth. In fact, Nick puts it up for me right here. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. Mine Now, I tell you, word has made its way uh, to Jesus' family. Now, it could have been friends that have been watching this. It could have been extended family members. We're not sure. But word has gotten back, and what they heard was this. He was so engrossed, Jesus was so engrossed in his ministry that he wasn't eating. He wasn't caring for his physical needs. Was Jesus being careless? as he engaged in all this ministry activity. I can imagine some of the questions they thought to themselves, you know, when I get to Jesus, I'm going to ask him, what is going on with these crowds? Why are they following you? Or maybe they thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him, why are you being questioned by these religious authorities? Why are you being questioned? Now, his family will come for him. That's why I'm doing two slices here. Uh, We're skipping over the meat just for a second. His family will come, and it says, uh, the scripture said to seize him. Your Bible may say to restrain, or take charge of, or lay hold of. But what it's saying is, I'm coming there, Jesus, to take custody of you. I'm gonna take custody of Jesus and most likely bring him back to Nazareth. Now, the reason they wanted to do this is they wanted to remove the strain of constantly having to, uh, Jesus having to constantly meet the physical and spiritual needs of so many. And another thing is they probably feared retribution from the local Jewish leaders and even more the Roman authorities. What is he doing? He's out of his mind. we got to get him out of there. So, was Jesus overworked? Was he so overworked that he was losing his mind? Well, of course not. The family's concern for Jesus was very loving, very nice, They wanted to take him home, but it's because they did not understand him, and they did not understand what he was doing. All they could see was, what is going on in Capernaum? He's not eating now? So we have a great concern for the family. Now, the ending slice, that was the first piece of bread. This next piece of bread completes the account that just began in verses 20, 21. Um, if we could look at Mark 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, in our text, it says Mary and the brothers. Now, of course, there was a man named Joseph that we know from uh, the Christmas story, right? He has sisters. Let me read this verse to you, Mark 6.3. Mark 6.3, "'Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and hosea and Judas, and Simon?' And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I wanted to read that verse to explain his family, brothers, sisters, Mary. Now, it's presumed that Joseph has passed on. Joseph has died. He's not mentioned. But in the text, we have Mary and his brothers. Now, this is significant because you can't convince me otherwise. I truly believe Mary knew exactly who Jesus was, exactly, from the first time the angels confronted her. Um, but I also know Mary was a mother, and any mother in here will say, wait a minute, you're telling me my son's not eating, right? My son, he, my son's what? Who's coming on my who, Who's getting in his face, right? So I believe Mary came, son, what are you doing? I've heard these stories about you not eating. I've heard these stories about you not taking care of yourself. I heard all these crowds are following you, and they're like uh, encircling you where you could be crushed. I hear you're having a problem with the Jewish leaders. What is going on? That's where I think Mary was at. Of course, we only speculate. But she was there to take him back to Nazareth and to get him out of there. Now, his brothers are interesting, very interesting. Um, James and Judas were two of his brothers. They could have been in that group. James and Judas didn't believe in his, their brother. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. It wouldn't be till after the resurrection that when Jesus confronts James that he believes. And so James, of course, became the uh, predominant leader of the Jerusalem church. He was an apostle, because he was given a commission by Jesus. Also Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Judas is the brother of Jesus, who most scholars believe wrote the book of Jude in our Bibles. Uh, these men would come to believe, but not now. So you've got to understand, we're look, they're looking at their brother like, what are you doing? You need to come home with mom. That's where we're at with the family. So at first... <clears throat> At first, it may seem that Jesus' words are unloving. It does, in a sense. Who are my mother and my brothers? But that's not the case. you got to remember, I skipped the meat. We'll get to that enemy in, in a second. But he has enemies that come that are making great accusations with malicious intent to destroy his ministry. That's what happened prior to this. So now friends and family arrive, right? And they, too, have good intentions, mind you, They have good intentions, but they too are attempting to divert him, to divert him from his ministry. So when the message arrived that his family was looking for him, he responds with this question Well, who are my mother and who are my brothers? Here Jesus is highlighting a much deeper issue when it comes to being in a relationship with him. Looking to those around him, the 12, you gotta remember, he just appointed 12 apostles. Looking to these 12, Jesus asserts that their kinship went beyond natural family ties. It was not about flesh and blood, <clears throat> but about the kindred spirit in those who obey the will of God, those seeking to accomplish God's purpose through faith in Christ. So Jesus is broadening the reference to family. By identifying and including those who do the will of God. The spiritual family is of great significance. And that is a beautiful thing for you and I. The spiritual family is of great significance to Jesus, and that includes us. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You and I belong to a great, great family, and it has nothing to do with blood. It has everything to do with the will of God. That's the family we belong to. Now, it's interesting, the word whoever, in verse 35, in verse 35, that, that, the one we just read, that being a, a part of Jesus' most significant family, whoever. His spiritual family. It's a possibility for all. It was a possibility for you and I. That possibility became a reality for us. It's a possibility for all. There may be someone sitting here today who, where there's a great possibility that they join this family today. That's my prayer and hope, that if you don't know Jesus, that you become a part of this family. But at the end of the day, folks, it's not that Jesus is forsaking his relationship with his physical family, with his blood. He's not. But that he will always pursue the call of God above all else. This is what Jesus is teaching. My, the will of God, the call of God, that is what I obey. John six thirty-eight. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was not out of his mind. He was just greatly, greatly misunderstood. Now, the reason I wanted to start and end with the family in the beginning of this sermon is I needed you to know where their mindset was. They loved him. They wanted to take him home and care for him. But Jesus is explaining, you don't get it. I'm involved in something here. I am engaged in something here, and it's for you. You can't see it. You don't understand it. But believe me, you want me doing this. So who are my brothers? Brothers, who is my mother? It's those who do the will of God. And we are part of that family, that spiritual family. So it's important to understand the family is there. They've heard news. They want to take them home. He's saying, I can't go home. There's something great happening here. So let's talk about the meat of our sandwich. That's our two pieces of bread. Gluten-free bread, mind you, horrible tasting. So now the meat, just like his family received word about him, scribes from Jerusalem did as well. So let's look at what they had to say about the legitimacy of Jesus' ministry. Mark three twenty-two through 30. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called uh, them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not uh, be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter, and this is our key verse, folks, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever Blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. All right. <clears throat> Between the introduction of the family and then their attempt to take Jesus into custody, Mark tells us about an incident with an official delegation of scribes who have come down from Jerusalem. What were they saying? Well, they were saying that the reason Jesus could and was driving out demons is because he is possessed by the ruler of demons, and they called him Beelzebul. Now, Beelzebul is another name for Satan, so they were calling him Satan, okay, or that he was possessed by him. Um, Beelzebul was an ancient god who was worshiped by the people groups such as the Canaanites and such as the Philistines. And the scribes, along with the Pharisees here, they were not denying Jesus' power. They were not denying it. No, they were attributing his power to Satan or Beelzebul, who again was the prince of demons. Jesus, we see what you're doing here, but you're doing it in the name of Satan. There was the problem. So Jesus responds with two parables, and nobody can answer and respond like Jesus Christ, let me tell you. This is is awesome. First, he points out the absurdity of their accusations. He states, how can Satan act against himself? Satan cast out Satan? Is Satan working against himself? He says, listen, you know if a house is divided, it's not going to stand. If a kingdom is divided, it's not going to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself, then he too is divided. He cannot cannot stand, and he'll come to an end. I mean, that's logic. That is sound logic. See, Jesus was revealing that Satan would not destroy his own house, yet his house was being destroyed not by Satan. See, the attack on Satan's kingdom didn't come from within, but it was coming from God's kingdom. Family couldn't see this. So, sound logic. If Satan's house was divided, it would not be able to stand. I think we could all agree with that. Satan would have to be bound before his power and kingdom could be challenged. He'd have to be subdued He'd have to be taken into custody. And that is why Jesus referenced the strong man in his parable that we read in verse 27. If you're going to enter a strong man's house and you're going to plunder that house, you better bind that strong man, right? And this is what the Pharisees, this is what the scribes, this is what the, 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 all those who experienced healing who just wanted to touch him, all those who were demon-possessed and were now free of those unclean spirits. Um, uh, This includes his mother Mary. This includes his brothers, the 12 apostles that were learning from him. This includes all those that followed him. He had many disciples following him. Friends, this is what they did not see or understand. See, Jesus was fighting a war He was smack dab in the middle of spiritual warfare, and he was destroying the enemy victory after victory. I can't go home with you to Nazareth. You have no idea what I'm doing, and it's for you. It'll be for all people. I am fighting a war. They couldn't see it. The apostles who lived with him day in and day out weren't able to see this, not yet. church family, Jesus is the stronger man. He is the stronger man who has entered the house of Satan in order to plunder it. And what did he plunder? That's to remove you and me from his grasp. That's to remove you and me from his captivity. We're not locked up. See, the stronger man has bound the strong man and has rescued us. Jesus Christ is victorious. He has won. Now, if you don't believe me, We're going to look at some of the victories won by Jesus. Now, bear with me, and I appreciate your patience. I'm going to throw a lot of verses out there, okay? I'm going to present the victories that Jesus has overcome, and in those victories, the ones we get to share with him, because then we have also overcome. We're victorious because we share in his victories. So Jesus has victory over sin and temptation. Uh, Here's Jesus, Hebrews 4.15 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin temptation sin he overcame those let's talk about how that affects us are we victorious in that 1 Corinthians 10:13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, church family, that's what we call victory. Victory. Jesus Christ was victorious over sin and temptation. We get to share in that, in that freedom. We too are victorious because of our Lord and Savior. What about over the world? Jesus is victorious over the world. Here's the verse for Jesus. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me, uh, that in me you may have peace, and the world you will have tribulation, but take heart I have overcome the world. And do we share in that? Here's us. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And this, excuse me, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Victory. We are victorious over this world because Jesus is victorious over the world. There's more. Not only are we victorious over sin and temptation in the world, Jesus Christ was victorious over the devil. Do we share in that? Well, let's look at Jesus first. First John three eight. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you understand that last part of the verse is the reason he continued in ministry, the reason he was not going home to Nazareth with his family, the reason that he pressed on no matter what the obstacles? is because he was destroying the works of the devil. The stronger man has bound the strong man. Are we victorious? Do we share in that? Well, here's us. 1 John 4, four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is victory. So yes, we are victorious through Jesus. Not on our own, through Jesus Christ. We get to share in these victories. All this was happening. What about death? Jesus Christ is victorious over death. Let's look at Jesus, Acts 2.24. God raised him loosening, uh, raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do we share in that victory? We do. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 50, through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on, the, uh, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who what gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ We have victory over death we do Believers have victory over death. We share in that because Jesus was victorious over death. And the enemy's great. <clears throat> Satan uses a lot of agents, a lot of people. In the end times, we'll see this manifest even more. There's a great enemy out there. Jesus is victorious even over a great enemy. Let's look at Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 24 through 25. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after what? Destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. There is no one else who wins but Jesus Christ. There is only one victor, and that is Jesus Christ. Do we share that victory? I'm going all the way back to Deuteronomy 24. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Church family, Jesus is victorious in spiritual warfare. And don't for a second think when he was here on this earth, he wasn't engaged in it. Jesus was fighting a war. Even though they didn't understand it, they couldn't see it, he was fighting a war and he was victorious even against the enemy. We share in that. And because Jesus is victorious, because he's victorious, Romans 8.37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? All these things we've talked about, what shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? I have to remind you Jesus wins. He has won. He is the victor. Everything that's happening in Scripture is a spiritual war, and Jesus is contending with those who are the enemy. He is binding the strong man. You know, it's impossible to risk the devil in our own strength. If we do attempt on at our own, our strength is quickly exhausted. We can quickly become exhausted. The key to resisting Satan is to force him to deal with the one who lives in our heart. You deal with Jesus, Satan. See, the stronger man who gives us victory after victory, that's who he needs to face. Uh, There's this great uh, thing Martin Luther used to say. Well, Martin Luther was often uh, very graphic in his description of the activities of the devil, how he'd explain things. He was asked one time how he overcame the devil. That's what the person asked. How do you overcome the devil? Like, we have any power in that. And he replied like this. Well, when he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? Dear Lord, the dear Lord. Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther, well, he used to live here, uh, but he has moved out. Now I live here. The devil seeing the nail prints in the hands and the pierced side takes flight immediately because he's terrified of Jesus Christ. You can see that in every demonic activity and encounter he has. You, the son of God, what are you here to do with are us? You, are you here to destroy us? They know. They know. It is surely good for every life and for every home to have Jesus uh, as a permanent resident. This assured heavenly blessing, folks, it's a blessing that it falls upon our bodies, isn't it? That we house Jesus Christ. So when Satan knocks, who opens the door of your heart? Are you going to fight him? I think I'm going to allow Jesus Christ, who's already won, (laughs) I'm going to let him fight him. That's who is in our corner. So our text ends with a great warning. Let's get to this great warning because this is important too. Our text ends with a great warning. The scribes made a huge mistake, a massive mistake in attributing Jesus' works to Satan, claiming that Jesus was empowered by evil. That's what they were claiming. Now, all sin, church family, all sin, including blasphemies against the whole, um, excuse me, including blasphemies, they can be forgiven. All sin, including blasphemies, can be forgiven. There's only one that can't. There is an exception. Whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit. This person is guilty of an eternal sin and can never be forgiven. We're talking eternal consequences due. It's also called the unpardonable sin. Where all other sins could be pardoned, this one will not. What is it? What is this sin? Oh, boy, I am sure many of you right now are wondering, oh, man, have I committed this sin? Am I in trouble? This is beautiful. You ready? This is so comforting. A Christian cannot commit this sin. How about that? A Christian, a true believer, not a professing Christian, not a fake Christian, not one who just says the right things. We're talking someone who's living for Jesus Christ and is relying on him completely. They cannot commit this sin. Now, I need you to also understand this is not an isolated act per se, but it's more of a settled condition in a person. It's a settled condition, and it's an attitude. It's it's an insistently unapologetic uh, and and stubborn refusal to acknowledge God at work in Jesus, to refuse to accept that. And, And like some, instead of acknowledging Jesus, what they would do is they would attribute his work to Satan. See, repentance and forgiveness are not possible for people who consistently reject God's saving work in Christ. That is the unpardonable sin. That is the unforgivable. A person's defiant uh, hostility towards God uh, who rejects Jesus' saving power toward man, which, let's just face it, God's love and power toward man, his saving power, is expressed in the person and work of Jesus. You can't get around that. It's based on an attitude of willful unbelief. I am choosing not to believe. It's a settled condition. One who prefers darkness, even if they've been exposed to light. Yeah, I've seen the light. I'm going to choose darkness. It is a condition that continues to harden a person. And you know them. You know them. They're out there. People can, hard people can continually grow even harder. Hearts of stone. It's a continual rejection of Christ this sin, a continual rejection of Christ. It's the denial of Jesus Christ as God. It's the rejection of the deity of the Holy Spirit. And I have to tell you, there are a lot of mainstream religions out there that I like to call cults that uh, have fallen into this category. They do not recognize the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not recognize the deity of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they are rejecting who Christ truly is. And that is a sad state. Forget people that don't believe. I'm talking about those out there who think they do. They need to get to the Bible. They need to open that Bible. And they need to read the Bible alone. It will prove. It will reveal. I mean, The Bible is a revelation of God. It will reveal who He is. So the continual rejection of Jesus Christ is the unpardonable sin. So Jesus said all this because this is what the scribes were accusing Him of. They were very uh, on very dangerous ground. They were treading uh, horribly dangerous ground. Now, Jesus did not actually say the scribes had committed this unpardonable sin, but they became perilously close, didn't they? They came so close because they were attributing His exorcisms to satanic power when they were really accomplished By the Holy Spirit. And that's the mistake they made. Again, there is victory in Jesus. So in my conclusion, I want to say this. They claimed he was out of his mind, the family. Uh, They claimed he was possessed. That's the scribes. Really and truly, he was greatly misunderstood. He was misunderstood then, and Jesus Christ is misunderstood now. And this is where we come into play. Everything builds up to fishers of men, to growing in Jesus, to learning, to sharing that. There is a great misunderstanding of Jesus Christ, and we may be the only person that ever crosses paths with somebody. We may be the living word and right in front of someone's eyes and heart. We may be the one who corrects or refutes or even shares this story of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was engaged in a great, great work. He was destroying the work and kingdom of Satan. As he walked this earth, that is what he was doing. The stronger man was on the scene, and he was victorious. I will tell you, Jesus Christ was victorious in the incarnation. When he entered this world, the devil lost. Uh, He was victorious in his life. He was victorious in death. He was victorious in his resurrection. He was victorious in his ascension. He will be victorious in his return and his reign. These are all victories of Jesus. He was victorious in past. He's victorious in present. And he will be victorious in future. It's just like each of us. Do you understand how this impacts you as a believer? Knowing Jesus Christ, what he's won? And that he has won because he was victorious in winning you and rescuing you in your past. There's a reason for that. You were on the receiving end of this awesome victory when he plundered you from Satan. Because he was the stronger man, saving you. You were victorious right now in your present life. You may not be living that way, and that's a whole other sermon. We'll get to it soon. But you're victorious in your present life if you'll claim that because Jesus was victorious. And of course, our future, our hope, our faith, all points, all points to that future hope, don't it? Guess what? Jesus wins, spoiler alert. He is victorious, therefore we are. Why are we not living victorious lives knowing what we were saved from and what awaits us? Folks, don't let Satan in this world rob you of your joy. You are sharing in the victories of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, Jesus saw the potential in the apostles. He saw the potentials, and he wanted them to live up to that, meaning they were to become who they were supposed to be. But what was the difference in who they were then and what they were supposed to become? There was one thing, time spent with Jesus. That was key in last week's verse. It said that, to be with him. I have appointed 12, you're to be with me. To be with Jesus, that was the difference. So it is no different for us. We have the written word. Folks, we have no excuse. We can't misunderstand like the family and the scribes because we have it all right in front of our eyes. We have no excuse. When we get to spend time with Jesus, we are uh, with him, learning from him, growing in him. And that is vital. See, the Word of God reveals victory in Jesus, and as believers, we share in Christ's victory. So Jesus came and He bound the strong man. He saved now, uh, saved us then, saves us now, and we belong to Him, sharing in His victories. Sin and temptation, He was victorious. The world, He was victorious. The devil, He was victorious. The death death victorious so jesus entered the strong man's house he did it for you he is the reason that you and i all experience victory he is it was for jesus <clears throat> excuse me it was jesus who bound the strong man because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world so we need to live excuse me live and allow god to Reveal to us through his word how we are to live in victory. I've told you many key points today. We live victorious lives through Jesus Christ. Let's live our lives in victory because that is what awaits us. You'll know these lyrics. What awaits us? Because Christ is victorious in the end. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea and about the angels singing in the old redemption story, and some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. That's for us. We were victorious when Jesus saved our lives. We're going to be victorious in the end when he takes us home to be with him forever. Let's live in victory now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great word today, Lord. I often wonder how I would have perceived and how I would have viewed you back then, Lord, as you were in this ministry. What would I have said? Would I have called you out of your mind? Would I I have said you were possessed? Father God, I don't know. I don't think any of us could know what we'd say, but Lord, now that we have the written word, now we have this, this beautiful authority in our lives, we know what you were doing, and you were winning victory after victory for us. You came to destroy the works of the devil, and you came to take back what belonged to you, and we belong to you. So my prayer today, Lord, is that we continue to spend time, spend more and more and more time with you, that we grow and that we learn from you, that we see all these wonderful things, all these victories that we get to claim because of you. It's all in Scripture. It's all in the Word if we'll just open this book and begin to read and spend time with you. That's my prayer, is that we continue to grow, Lord. We continue to grow and mature in your Word. I want us to be able to live a life of joy and live a life of victory, not based on our achievements, not based on what we have, based on the fact that we belong to you and you have won. That means we've won. Father God, let us see you in that light. We thank you for Jesus. We praise you for Jesus. We know he fights for us. Even today he's fighting for us, interceding for us. As the accuser wants to point fingers of blame, he defends us. And like Scripture said, Father God, if you're for us, who ever, who could be against us? Let us embrace what you have in your word for us. Let us spend time with you so that we grow in the knowledge of what you have for us. Again, always becoming what you want us to be, who we are supposed to be. That's my prayer today, Lord. We thank you for the victories. We thank you for being the victor, winning it all. And I just pray today, Lord, that we embrace that in our very lives here today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.